Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Amir Malikpour. And we are discussing Mr. Miracle number 22 and 23 from 1978. Mr. Miracle number 22 is written by Steve Englehart, drawn by Marshall Rogers. And Mr. Miracle number 23 is written by Steve Gerber and drawn by Michael Golden and Joe Giella. These were weird issues, Amir. Yeah, you know what's interesting, actually, um, I noticed that there was also a story, story credit on number 22 that's uh, not Englehart. It's John Harkness. Yeah, Englehart talks about that on his website, and he huh. says basically he was asked to do an extra issue, which he had to script essentially overnight. Oh, so he so that's like a nom de plume? Yeah, so he actually used it later on his career when he was writing Fantastic Four in the mid '80s, actually late '80s, early '90s. Uh, he went he went by the name John Harkness because he was angry at Marvel for them changing some of his plot threads. So it's a name he's used multiple times. I mean, this it makes sense because issue twenty two looks like a guy who's pissed off at his company wants to like butcher the story. <laughs> Go on with that, Amir. That's a great insight. It's so like out of character and it's so buffoonish, you know, like, like for, so he's, so the whole thing, he's pissed, you know, like, first of all, like, I mean, first of all, the cover has, he's got like a machine gun on the cover. So he's going to use a machine gun. My first thoughts were like, I didn't know this. I thought, okay, maybe like the machine gun is because I think, I don't know, the Thor come out around the same time, although I think Thor ended later on, but they had a machine gun. I thought maybe it's kind of cool. They want the kids to like get interested in it. He's got a machine gun on the cover. And then like the first page is like, I'm all killed. I'm going to kill Darkseid Oberon. I was like, okay, I've never, never heard Scott say that. It's so out of character. And then he's all like... Uh, Yes, and the sooner the better. Amir, these are weird comics. Mm -hmm. It's just put together in a strange way where Scott is never quite the character we're used to at all in these comics. No. And I'm not sure I like it. No, I don't like, I mean, I don't like it either. I think before we started the recording, we were talking about how um, Englehart was not happy with like as you you man you pointed out that uh, Englehart was not happy with the, the way he was treated with Marvel and mentioned that like can you elaborate on that like what happened with this yeah script? so he, well so Englehart left Marvel in seventy seven went over to DC and that's when he wrote Detective and uh, Mister Miracle and Mister Miracle was kind of the side project right and right and he was gonna just work there for a year and then travel through Europe and kind of live a free life. And this was the last comic they asked him to write. He basically wrote it overnight, Mr. Miracle 22. And 22 really has this feel of something that was thrown together very quickly overnight. Englehart would use the name John Harkness again in the future, um, specifically when he was writing the Fantastic Four comic in the late 80s, early 90s. It's that weird era when Ben left the team and then rejoined the team. And there was, he, he had a secondary mutation had more rocks and there was the she thing. And it's, it's just a really weird period. And he got mad that Marvel was trying to interfere with his writing on that book. 
So he wrote like a half dozen issues under his pen name, John Harkness, who's mm. also the name we see here. So apparently when he's half-assing a story, he doesn't use his real name, which good, good, good on him. It does feel half-assed, doesn't it? I mean, I, uh, one of the things, I mean, like, I could tell this is written by somebody who's half-assing a story. Moreover, almost mad at the company for, like, making him write the story on the eve of him going to Europe and having an awesome time. It's like, <laughs> it's like doing your homework right before vacation starts. So where do you um, see him being mad? Because there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't feel right. I mean, to me, I just feel like the character is angry. Like, I've, you know, I mean, we've talked about the characterization that Engelhart gave to Scott, which is something that I haven't really enjoyed. But this one, like, takes it up to the next level of, like, he's, like, ramp, he's on a ramp. He's, like, Rambo, not, not even Rambo, but he's, like, you know, like Steven Seagal on a, you know, revenge. You know, this is, like, a revenge story where he's all like i'm gonna kill dark side oberon is like what are you talking about like i'm just gonna go kill him and then right. he goes and he kills some of the soldiers there's like on page three um there's some pretty violent stuff in in uh on panel three where like you see somebody's blood gets splattered and like well and there, he's even cracking jokes like uh, yeah. bad action hero after this performance, I'll be passing the hat, gentlemen, like he's a street performer or something. Yeah, exactly. And the other guy's like, oh, passing your head, you mean? Uh, okay, all right. Like, oh, it's just painful, right? And then the mischaracterization, too, is I think Englehart is uh, maybe rightfully so, is associating um, you know, escape artists to you know, vaudeville. So he's using a lot of vaudeville terms here, like passing the hat, and like there's there's some other stuff that comes up later on too, where he's just, um, yeah, very punny and just trying to write this as fast as possible. There are a lot of words too. It's like he did write a lot of words in here, but he yeah uh, he threw a lot on the page. I'm not sure any of it lands. Yeah, you know, like the scene with High Father and Oberon on pages five and or six and seven, where. Oberon's asking for help for Scott. He's gone to attack Darkseid directly. And then Highfather just says, oh, is that all? Is that all, yeah. Oberon says legitimately. But like, they just seem almost like dismissive. They laugh at the idea of Scott going to attack Darkseid. Yeah. Which of course is totally appropriate because there's no way he could beat the guy. Yeah, that page is those five and six of um, High Father are pretty creepy. I don't know. I'm, I'm very uncomfortable. Those pages, him dressed the way he is now. Yeah, in his little tunic thing, and there's the little kids hanging out with him and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Rogers um, can't draw kids very well either, by the way, not at this yeah. point. The, the other thing is, um, they are very like jokey joke. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah they're going to go fight out. And then they shoot missiles to Oberon just because he's contacting them mm -hmm. so, oh yeah watch out for the missiles they're gonna come and kill you oh okay oh but, okay i get the message he says like yeah what the hell but the art's good the, the bomb art is pretty good there's a lot of good art here by marshall rogers mm -hmm. I, I i think there's multiple inkers right i think that like page six looks like it's inked by jack abel and there's another page i think that looks like walter simonson 
it's probably farmed out through like Neil Adams Studios or something because it was mm. probably drawn so quickly. But Rogers does draw a lot of backgrounds. Like page ten has a really nice background. Actually, kind of the whole sequence when he when Scott <coughs> appears in Apocalypse in the Enclave. It's like a nice kind of set of backgrounds and depth of field in it. Yeah, there's some good action on page nine. Like there's a good full page spread 12, which is cool with like Kerboom. Yeah. Uh, which is actually, I think it's like an homage to Kirby in a Kerboom, you know? Yeah. That's kind of cool. I mean, he, uh, Marshall, I'm not, Marshall Rogers, yeah, does a great job with the, lettering you know the the sound sounds it's really cool i don't know i'm assuming he did it yeah the inline lettering he did yeah even on the next page page 13 where the first panel the ring ring is like camouflaged by the castle and like there's yeah. there's a lot of detail like in those castle scenes too like actually looking at that page 13 panel one there's a lot going on there it's almost mm -hmm. got this bernie wrightson look to it with that weird creature coming off the wall Oh wow! I didn't even see it. I think maybe I'm I'm looking at the digital version. I don't know if that's what we look. So there's less coloring there. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting little stuff he throws in there, like panel three. That little that post, just that post has got so much detail on it. And he draws every step of the ladder Scott's going up. Yeah, I, my favorite page is the next one, page fourteen, or one of my. It's really cool. I see next two pages um page you, 14 you like the, the darkness of it yeah the darkness and like the creepiness and then the paneling too because you get him up at the top uh you know walking through some filth or whatever there's like dead people in there right and they have they have his glove so it could be him you know it's kind of like saying it's green glove it's kind of like him and then you see his face and then they kind of do like a weird paneling of like him going through a like from one end of a building to the other and then jumping in. It's really, really well done. Yeah, Rogers never lets you be comfortable at all. The camera keeps moving. And the way he goes from the full body shot to the close up to the distance shot and then a straight on shot is so interesting. Yeah, and then you see Dark Side next page 15, his whole face, and you see Dark Side nose hair. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that coloring though. I think it's like purple and pink and, and blood red eyes. It's really cool. I, I, really, I like those two pages a lot. Like, they I mentioned in the letters page a couple issues later that that full page spread was controversial. The dark side one? The dark side reveal. A lot of people liked it. A lot of people felt like it was kind of detracting from the overall impact of the scene. I personally think it's great because of the kind of this feeling like Scott's completely overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. You know, he's well, he, he's employing all these stealthy tactics to get close to Darkseid. And when he, like, Darkseid's been watching him the entire time, and he's just like, he's going to overwhelm him. Like, it's clear at that moment that Scott's whole thing about killing Darkseid is just completely pointless. Mm -hmm. there, there's no way he could possibly win. Well, when I saw that page on page 15, I was like, oh, is this the end of the issue? And I think mm -hmm. maybe that could be the argument. It's like, oh, it's like, that's the punchline. And then the next page, which is a really good page too, again, with the with the sound of blam and everything. And in fact, like 
I think the last two pages are probably better than the first 15 in terms of like characterization story. I think it's like a letdown after that page because you're coming down and it's like, oh, now they're talking. Yeah. What's oh, like yeah. the next issue? So it's interesting. So you, you, you go through the page, you go through the issue, especially starting at the page where Scott's got the, the kerboom page that you were talking about, which is a full page of Scott, essentially. And then you flip to the next page and he's right at the center of all the panels. Mm -hmm. And he's, we're following him. We feel like we're kind of tracking what he's doing. We get to page 14, like you were talking about, Scott's everywhere there. And then suddenly there's dark side on page 15, you flip to page 16, and suddenly Scott's small in these panels. So in the panel one, Dark Side's on the left, Scott's on the right. Scott looks tiny next to Dark Side's head. And in the Blam panel, he's almost overwhelmed by the by the Blam. You move mm -hmm. to panel three, and Dark Side's in the shadows. He's, you know, he's terrifying. And Scott, we just got a back view of Scott where he looks Again, really puny, kind of crammed into the bottom corner of the panel. And the next panel, he's just this tiny little shape. So it's like this really nice storytelling by Rogers that makes us get, makes us feel like Scott's been suddenly reduced to like this insignificance. Mm. Yeah. It's good stuff. I really like, I love this art. And then, you know, the last page, page 17. That's another favorite of mine, like the whole vertigo, you know, the ha ha, you know, again, the, the lettering and the sound lettering, it's, it's great stuff. Yeah, it, so we started out saying we didn't like this issue that much, but I think it's a little better than I first thought it was. I think the art's probably good. The, the characterization is still kind of, I mean, it's okay. It's okay. The story is okay, but the art's superb, especially when you know it's the Marshall Rogers stuff, like the Marshall Rogers action, you know, action pages. And I'm assuming the favorite pages are all Marshall Rogers or mostly. Yeah. There's one piece in here that does nicely call back to Kirby, which is the last panel of page 16 where Darkseid says, I laugh at the cosmic comedy. Hmm. And he goes on to talk about how, so I like that little piece right there because that reminds me of Mr. Yeah. Miracle 18. It does, yeah. That's life right. is life is bittersweet, and then he goes off on this kind of speech on page seventeen that I kind of disagree with, where he's like, "We need light needs shadow, so therefore apocalypse and new genesis must be in balance with each other." It's a whole thing of you can't appreciate beauty without ugliness, which I'm not sure I buy into. I think it's a false dichotomy, but like he's Star making Wars. a philosophical point. It's like Star Wars, right? <laughs> Yeah. I'm trying to think by this time, had Star Wars come in? Was it, yeah, this is a year after Star Wars. Maybe they're aping or stealing that idea. Oh, I think so. I think there's no way they could have avoided Star Wars. Yeah. Can you build a brave new world without balance, light and shadow, day and night, waking and dreaming? And when the dreams, dreams grow most vivid, it is dark side that you see. You have much to learn, my son, much to learn. I mean, Darkseid just humiliates him. Mm -hmm. Basically, yeah. like, just flicks his wrist and sends him off. Mm -hmm. I like that, too. This is Scott really getting above his own 
pay grade, so to speak. Yeah, good art, great art. Speaking of great art, then we get Michael Golden. Without, not, not with the best inker in issue 22. Mm -hmm. 23, excuse me. Joe Gia. Joe Giella, yeah. Oh. Who's a Silver Age inker. I was going to say, like, I'm not really familiar with him, his work, but I've seen his name everywhere. Yeah, he he inked like Flash over Gil Kane or Carmine Infantino and stuff. And he inked Green Lantern over Gil Kane, I believe. This is one of his last professional jobs, I think. What about the colorist? Do you know if Golden colored himself or who's this Dr. Martin or Dr. Martin? <laughs> I guess Dr. Martin is a type of coloring, right? Oh, Doc Martens. Is that what that is? It's a Doc Martin, Dr. Martin coloring also, which so is like a type of pen. Let me look up in comics.org to see if it lists. I think that sounds like a nom de plume too. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Golden inks it, or colors it rather, because it totally makes sense. That's what it is. That's good insight. So the colorist is actually, it could be him. Yeah, because DR Martin isn't a real. Oh, it, uh, it says Doc Martin as DR Martin. But that's not a real. Unless Doc Martin's came up with that. I don't know. Who knows? But, um, but the art is great. I like it a lot. Uh, it reminds me, I wrote down Kevin McGuire. My assumption is that Michael Golden came before Kevin McGuire. Oh, yeah. Yeah, McGuire's first work was on Justice League in 85 or 86. Oh, we need to talk about McGuire then, because I thought he'd been, how, that's his first work? That's incredible. With his first work, his first comic was Justice League number one. Wow. Yeah. All right, anyways. <laughs> He's been around for a while, but yeah, not, not that long. So. I guess my question is, Michael Golden has influenced a lot of artists, including a lot of the artists from the image uh, years, like the, um, if you look at um, uh, Todd McFarlane's people, they're basically copied versions of Golden, which aren't, they don't look as good, but people, not the heroes. Yeah. And so it's just kind of, so, and then obviously like, I'm, I'm wondering if there was some influence between him and McGuire and, and he's a really influential artist that I feel like people don't really give too much credit. To. I mean, I think a lot of people feel that. I mean, being artists really. But, um, but he's, he also is a guy who's great with the coloring as well as the art, you know, the pencil line, you know, the inking. There's some lovely storytelling by Golden in this issue, this issue too. Like on the left side of the two-page spread on pages two and three, we see Scott's face kind of drift down. That look on his face, especially in panel two, as he's thinking about Barda, yeah. is really beautifully done. Like, mm -hmm. the, the, you really can read this emotion of pain and anger at himself in his eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like this cosmic chessboard type of thing that he comes, that whole page is a great one. I mean, I would love to see the original art for these, and I'm probably going to go look for them right after we talk. This is the such a Steve Gerber comic. I know you haven't read a ton of Steve Gerber, mm -hmm. but oh my God, the way he writes page one, especially, is like an issue of Man Thing or Howard the Duck or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the way he writes that 
Is this where gods go when they die? Good question, Scott mutters to himself, and then waits silently for an answer which is simply not forthcoming. Oh, well, may as well relax and enjoy the ride, whatever the destination. That is so much like a line out of a Howard the Duck comic with, with Howard and Beverly wandering around Cleveland. Or so much like around the way he talks about Man-Thing and Man-Thing comic, where like he just is, he brings so much of his personality to these pages. Mm. And it's almost like he's talking to these characters, like a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's so, it's so uniquely Gerber. No one ever really wrote that like he did. Even out to page two. Unfortunately, it's not that easy. Too many matters pressing on his mind. Like that's such a Gerber line. And mm. oh yes, let's not forget the ground rushing up to meet him. Like no one writes like that. Mm. And yeah. it's it like the more I read of his work, the more I love those kind of things, kind of elements. Really, really eloquent way of putting these things. One thing I wrote down here, this is really a commentary on page five, but what I wrote down is I'm still not on board with you know, with Scott being Jesus. That said, this is probably like the most elegant way of trying to get him to become the Messiah, the way Gerber has written it. I mean, obviously, I don't think it's his mandate. It's probably DC mandate to make him, to follow what Engelhardt would make him a God or, you know, make him a, you know, Jesus and stuff. And I think the way they come to those terms at the end of the issue is actually pretty beautiful, the way you talk about it. It's really nice how they Scott is being freed from his binary way of thinking. Mm-hmm. I think this is a really good example of the writer having to balance the editorial mandate and still bringing about their own their own essence to the work. Yeah. He's also building on what we just saw from Engelhart. Exactly, yeah. Because Scott's kind of been not shattered, but humiliated from what he went through from the beatdown dark side gave him. And he's re-examining himself. And in the end, it becomes this transcendent experience. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you just kind of outside of this book. So I know Gerber is your favorite artist, right? I'm not favorite writer, right? Yeah, he is. I wonder... I was going to ask you, like, where does Golden rank for you? I mean, you don't have to get one, two, three, but if 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 Golden is up there, maybe top 10, top five, is this probably, maybe not the work itself, but the collaboration, is this like the, your two all-stars working? Like, when has there ever been a point where, like, you're one of your favorite artists and writers came together and there it's like having, like, a two all-star working on the same project? <laughs> That's a great question, Amir. I'll ask you the same question in a minute. For me, I think because I started reading Gerber when I was a kid and a lot of his work was drawn by people like Jim Mooney and Sal Buscema, that to me, like a dream team for Gerber is like Gerber and Sal Buscema doing Defenders. Mm. Buscema's like this workmanlike artist, right? He's nothing special at all. But if I had the chance to buy an issue of the Headman Saga from Defenders, I would pay more for that than I would per page by Michael Golden mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because makes- it's just kind of meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. That set, especially when we get to like issue 24 and 25, there's never been a Gerber comic that looked as good as either of those issues. 
hmm. with the possible exception of some of the nicest work by Gene Colan that, that they did together. Like the early issues of Colan with Steve Lohan, Howard the Duck are gorgeous, hmm. absolutely gorgeous. But he never worked with anyone quite like Golden. Golden's just got this power and beauty to him. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, I, I so I, I get where you're going with that. I just have a kind of a quirky answer to that. I, I think it makes a lot of sense because my favorite comics are not necessarily the teaming up of my two favorite or two, three or four favorite creators. It's usually a singular voice, like maybe like, I mean, like for example, Frank Miller doing all of his work on Sin City or something like that. Or like from a superhero perspective, like Grant Morrison is one of my favorite superhero writers. Frank Quayle is probably my favorite superhero artist. So their teaming up has probably has been produced the best work of yeah. superhero. But they're not my, I mean, maybe quietly as a superhero artist, but like as far as like Morrison being my favorite, I said, so I get it. Like it makes sense that like, the work that you cherish the most is not necessarily the culmination of the two favorite people that you have. So it makes sense. Yeah, but now you got me thinking, you brought up Miller and like Miller and Massa Kelly, for example. Yeah, yeah. That's probably it, right? I mean, I would say, yeah, Miller and Massa Kelly, I would say like, I mean, I know we're getting off topic, but an example of that, just a quick thing on like Alan Moore, I've always felt that Alan Moore has always well no he's worked with amazing artists too in his best work like yeah yeah I mean, Paige Williams is, is the artist best artist he's worked with but also like you know Watchmen most a lot of the brunt of the work is done by anyways but that's yeah, Kevin O'Neill on League I mean yeah it, it really is 50 50. I just remembered something I was going to go back to with the Marshall Rogers issue yeah which I just uh, so I'm going to go back to that and we'll come back to, to Michael Golden in a second so I just watched the cartoonist kayfabe about the American flag by Howard Chaikin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the things I noticed a lot in that, as they were discussing American flag number one, was how Howard Chaikin doesn't follow any traditional layouts. That mm-hmm. comic is just wild. He's just continually bursting the, the, the panels. He's filling it like every little inch of the page is full of excitement and energy and story building elements. And I really felt that in Roger's issue, well, Roger's last issue 22, mm-hmm. more than I think I felt in any other comic we read together. Yeah. I was wondering if you felt the same way. Well, the, the reason I thought about the Chaikin one is the page where you mentioned it could be a Walt Simonson one. It reminded me of like Chaikin's Star Wars art. Oh, I, yeah. A little bit, but I don't think Chaikin had any hand in this. And didn't Chaikin have a studio with Walt Simonson for a while too, if I'm not mistaken? I think they worked together, yeah. Uh, yeah, 78, I think Chaikin was drawing Cody Starbuck for the Hulk magazine. Mm. He was painting that. It's also really great comics. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a tangent, I know, but Chaikin on American Flag is his those first dozen issues are like amazing mm-hmm. they're so dense and complicated his world building is so superb mm-hmm. yeah sorry um, i'll stop now no i mean i, I think <laughs> stay, I stay with the topic, topic at hand i got i got us off topic i think the coming back to like golden and gerber uh i i, I enjoyed this 
this issue. I think I really liked uh, Golden's art. It's, it's beautiful. It's not just good storytelling, but everything is beautiful. I mean, martial art is beautiful too. Um, and then I think from a, as I was mentioning, uh, from a, you know, the Messiah perspective, this is probably as elegant as you can get. In trying That's it. To I, like, I think the art here is elegant. That's a great word, word for it. It just feels so smooth and sit and slick and attractive. And Rogers kind of feels a little rougher around the edges. But I think Gerber's storytelling is also eloquent too. Like the idea of like philosophical, like not just hitting you over the head, like having a, you know, Scott be like in a, in a cross form, you know, like, hey, draw him, look like a cross. He's on a cross and mm -hmm. like, you know, that kind of thing. Don't, it's not blunt hitting you over the head. It's more like, you know, you need, to, in order to be able to help other people, you need to be able to understand yourself and then to come back and, you know, cause you know, he even mentions that like you're, you were cast, your, your father cast you into the hell. You chose to come to earth and help the hell, you know, that kind of thing. So just, yeah. uh, that's a better way of like, you're Jesus, now do what you will with it. No, he's appreciating the absurdity of life and that helps him kind of transcend. And that's, again, such a Gerberish moment. Uh, on page seven, where, again, Gerber's got this such a Gerber panel. It takes a moment or two for the deadly reality and the patent absurdity of the scene to settle into Scott's consciousness. That's like absurdity is, is like such an ongoing feature of Gerber's work. But at the same time, the absurdity is at the service of Scott transcending his belief system and transcending himself to become more of a messiah. So there's this really nice sense that Gerber's kind of worked through his lack of faith in the world and it's kind of starting to come out the other side and seeing some redemption. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, a lot of authors, especially for they write quickly, a lot of their work ends up being autobiographical in some way. And of course, Gerber doesn't imagine himself as the Hulk or Howard the Duck or a man thing or Mr. Miracle, but he imagines, but he sees himself as someone who's kind of chronicling his own internal struggles. And one of the things he talks about a lot in the interviews from the time, as well as in his comics, is about the, the absurdity of the world mm -hmm. and the, the you know, total absurdity of being in late 1970s America, too, 1970s mm -hmm. New York which is just a crazy place too. And what this comic feels like in part is Scott finally, not Scott, excuse me, Gerber finally starting to transcend himself a little bit. Yeah. And it's, it's exciting in a, in a really different sort of way. Mm -hmm. Now I know that's this, that's like I'm going off on a little tangent because you know, you're not nearly as well-read at Gerber as I am, but do you see that kind of in the work? I do see it. I mean, the self-reflectiveness of the characters, the philosophy, you know, there's a lot of philosophical discussion, not just from Scott, but also the androgynous character, which by the way, for 70s, I think it's pretty ahead of its time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and not just Andronomy, but Andro I don't know what the right word, but but also like the character is like the you know they don't 
work for Darkseid or the High Father, and it's not the source. Um, yeah, they're a free agent. As far as I know, that character's never been seen again. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, the next panel, the next page where like, it's like a race, it's like a death race, you know? Yeah. Like they're all the, I didn't even notice it the first time I read it. Like people are drinking, like in the crowd, like some people are drinking some, some weird stuff. And then there's like a race of somebody on a slug and in a tank and motorcycle. And there's and someone car, yeah, like a rocking chair. It's like so weird. Wheelchair. None of it makes any sense. I wonder if those are in the script or if Golden wrote them in. That's a great or, question. And like, there's these kind of weird looking characters who are almost like parodies of, of other characters we've seen. Like mm -hmm. there's the guy in the background who looks like he's kind of like the Black Racer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy in the rocking chair, like he could be a kind of joke on Metron. That is funny, yeah, that's funny. I wonder who the slug is in the tank and that's funny. He kind of looks a little bit like High Father. Yeah. Behind the times, yeah. Yeah. Scott's just like not becoming unglued, but he's becoming a little more. He's seeing a different world. Yeah. He's seeing almost an alternative alternative world that he could be part of. And I think one interesting part is like again the part about the the celestial being. I forget what the name is, but he's like he he tells these people like uh mr miracle tells the people like you know you guys don't have to rebel against dark side and then when they rebel the kills dark side kills them and so the realization is like you can't just tell people to stand up when they're not ready to do it you know it's like there's a lot of philosoph philosophical discussion there as to like how can you become like a quote-unquote messiah or a leader you need to be able to understand what the right approach is my god there's the line. Uh, sorry, I don't. I, I didn't mean to not listen to you, but I, I was looking up the line from Oberon. Everyone's got to be someplace. Myron Cohen, 1966. That's actually a song. I wrote that down. To I looked up Myron Cohen. He used to be a comedian, but I didn't really know about the song. Or maybe it's a maybe it's a comedy. But I, don't know. I looked him up. Yeah, Myron Cohen was a comedian. I just looked him up on Wikipedia. Wow. Talk about a deep cut from Gerber. He didn't even have to credit Myron Cohen. <laughs> no, like, but it's such a great little character moment for Oberon. I know, but it's funny. They're in the middle of like, you know, uh, peril and Oberon's like quoting. Oh, by the way, that's Myron Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, just a great little elegant character building moment i think it's not even an editor note it's it's literally overall <laughs> well uh dark side is throwing like a dagger at his heart <laughs> right but it doesn't really bother oberon don't get yourself in a dither shop it's nothing serious well what's funny is like once scott comes back to where that cosmic chessboard is um the entity tells him you know, that was all in your mind. Nobody got hurt. Nobody's dead. That was just like part of you getting educated. Which again, I'm like, so Mr. Miracle or Scott is into Myron Cohen, the comedian from 1966. And he has to, <laughs> it's just funny. It's just such a perfect little weird moment. I just yeah. love it. 
And it, yeah. Actually, the fact that Oberon doesn't get hurt, I think, shows Scott starting to understand the transcendence that he's going to have. He's able but, to think of another world, right? Because Darkseid throws a dagger into his best friend's heart, but the it doesn't even matter because there's another world that you're part of. I think symbolically, it's a really interesting take. Sorry, I talked over you twice. Oh, I'm sorry, I jumped over you. Um, but that's not Oberon, though. That's just in his head. Yeah, that's just in his head. So he's kind of playing out this existential thing of what am I part of? And he's realizing right there that Darkseid can't hurt him as much as he used to. Mm. That Scott's be starting to be able to see a third way, mm. a way other than New Genesis or Apocalypse. And that's why he's starting to become, he's why he's starting to surmount. And that's why on the bottom of page eight, we have, behold, behold, Mr. Miracle, he's risen, he has risen, because he's starting to transcend his preconceptions. Mm-hmm. And then when he comes back, there's a part where he gets punched out by Orion, which reminded me of uh, reminded me of Tom King, where he had Orion punch out Scott multiple times. That's the worst costume ever for Orion, by the way. Awful, I hate that man. costume. I can't imagine they got rid of that helmet. I don't understand it. It's such an elegant costume. I mean, everyone, it, it was forgotten after the 70s moved on. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the Scott goes through this journey, right? And in order to, trans, to completely transcend himself, he has to move beyond the pact. And here's uh, essentially Orion is saying, you need, to, you need to be part of this binary world. You need to be still be living in the pact. We need to be in opposition with each other. That's, mm-hmm. that's our fate. And Scott essentially says, no, I don't want to. I, I, I'm not going to be part of this. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to move on. Oh, and yeah. uh, I just think it's really kind of, it's again, the, the real Gerber thing of like transcending your roots. Mm-hmm. And like even the fight with, fight with Barda, on pages 13, or really just on page 13, we get back to Scott as we like him, which is he's not an action hero. He's a, a Vader. He's a he's a person who uses his skills to avoid battle. I wrote that down too. It's like finally, like during this run, you see that he's not like somebody who's gonna overpower Barda. And he even says it like when Barda is right, I can't, I can't. You know, I can't fight her. She'll beat me. Yeah, I love that, you know, the very notion of fight of striking her, even the simulacrum, however you say it, simulacrum of Barda fills me with revulsion. That's what we needed to hear from him in the yes. Engelhardt issues. Yeah. You can't fight her. Golda draws her so beautifully, too. Mm-hmm. She's such a powerful character. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still like Kirby's better, of course. Yeah. Because she's bigger in Kirby. Not just his design, but just the way the characterization. But yeah, it's better than uh, Marshall Rogers and Englehart. And then he finally confronts Darkseid in a different way than he conf- confronted Darkseid in the last issue. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's such a beautiful panel there on page 15 when you see Scott 
enlarged from ant size into being human size. Mm. And the line is that escape from oppression is possible. Mm -hmm. So Scott really finally starting to transcend his roots. Yeah. And such uh, again, like these characters have such rich lives under Gerber. Ideas explode like thunder in Scott's mind, deafening him to the dull roar of dogma. Wow. I mean, that's like Scott's opening his eyes. He's finally transcending his roots. He's finally growing into being his own person. Visions burst in brilliant, furious flashes before his eyes, blinding him to all preconceived perceptions of reality. The victory can be won. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful climax to a very weird story. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a really good, I like the issue. And I think towards the end of the last one, 22 was pretty good too, but yeah. Are you intrigued to see who Scott becomes? Yeah, I, I kind of took a little bit of a peek. I know the art's amazing. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. I enjoyed 23 more than I expected to. I read it actually quite a few times now. And every time I find just little bits and pieces that make it more interesting to me. Part mm -hmm. of it is Golden. Golden does such a great job. Page 14, for example, when Scott is reduced to the size of an ant and looks on his face as he gets shrunk down. This is a case where it's so nice having it in digital because you can enlarge it and see how wonderfully Golden draws those faces. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's really cool. I mean, did a, it's a great, the art's amazing. I wanted to talk about Ethos. Again, I think that's the character's name. Yeah, that's and their name. Apparently, oh, yeah, uh, Ethos doesn't show up anywhere else at all. No. Which is surprising. Yeah, I wonder if it's just kind of swept aside as part of the 70s reboot of Mr. Miracle. I mean, there really is nothing after 25 about the messiahdom either. Mm, yeah, well, I mean, there's nothing really after that. Yeah, actually, there's another series, right? Yeah, but yeah. it's quite a few years later, and they take a different approach to it. Because mm -hmm. like the, the newer series, the, the 80s series is a spinoff of Justice League. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the end, 22 was better than I thought. 23 is, the more I read 23, the better it gets, like I said. I think Ethos is a really intriguing character. I wish we had seen them more. Mm -hmm. I forgot to mention Gerber does write androgynous characters now and then. Starhawk in Guardians of the Galaxy, he's the one that introduced the idea that Starhawk has a male and a female body. Mm. And, can, and they're basically living together. And it's a really interesting take on this kind of, not trans, but this androgyny of the character. Mm. Where he's almost implying something that transcends gender. Mm. Which is, I think, just really powerful. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about these two issues? No, it was a beautiful, looking forward to the next one. I think the next one's going to be pretty beautiful. Oh, we get Russ Heath. Yeah, I mean, I've been looking ahead oh on it God. too. I'm going to pull out the issues for that one. Yeah, I've got him sitting here next to me. Oh, and uh, yes. 
they are gorgeous and the Gerber writing in them is I think just spectacular awesome that's next week thank that's you Amir great. thank you thanks Jason oh thank you <laughs>